Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hey, good afternoon here um, for the afternoon session on Saturday. Um, it's going to be about step six and seven this time. Um, I want to look at the sheet here just to be sure I got it named right. So what is it? Um, Step six and seven. Yeah, step six and seven. Look at there. So we got that part right. My name is Bob, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, My name is Paul, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. So um, each of us will share um, our recovery on this topic, and we'll take time to answer questions at the end. Um, Questions will be taken in that same Ask It Basket format that we've been using. There's cards up here. Um, don't know if there's pens. I and think there's some on the floor. Yeah, right over here on the side of the stage, there's cards and pens. So, as y'all, don't worry about us. Just get up and come up here and grab a card. If you have a question on your mind, um, just don't worry about moving around during the session. Be comfortable. If you need to get up and go to the restroom, feel free. Um, there's water in the back if you're thirsty. Um, that sort of thing. So, um, but I'm just saying, if you have a question, come on up in here and, and, and write it down. And then at the end, we'll just bring them up here and put them on the table and we'll, we'll go through them as best we can. Um, so in the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please uh, silence all your mobile devices and cell phones. Um, beyond that, um, it's also being live streamed, this meeting, audio only, over the World Wide Web. If you do not wish to participate in the live stream, you're welcome to remain silent. If you choose to share, we ask that you sit in the designated chair, which is where I'm sitting, and um, and ask that you uh, sit in front of the microphone. Please don't touch the microphone or any of the audio equipment. Uh, it puts other noises into the outplay that we don't know we're doing, and it's pretty raucous. But anyway, so um, moving on, um, I just want to say that at this point, um, I'd like to open up with the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, I'll go ahead and read the, the essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and to help others achieve sexual sobriety. Um, So uh, did you want to start or did you want me to start this time? 
Sure, I'll start. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let um, Paul get this one started, and then I'll come in after him. Are Are you okay? Are you picking me up on the radio? Uh, I'm Paul. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Paul. Uh, I'll briefly give you a little bit about my background. I'm uh, I've been a sexaholic all my life. Uh, I didn't know it, but I was. Um, I think that I was pre-programmed to be an addict of some sort, and it just happened that I uh, it was sexaholism. It happened in my youth, uh, pre-puberty. Um, uh, I developed a fetish for women's underwear. As a result of uh, watching my grandmother get undressed, she didn't know I was watching her get undressed. Um, and I, I was never molested as a child, but I was excited then, and this, again, was pre-puberty. So I, I just know that it was all there. The seeds were there. It was ready to, to go, and, and, and did. it. I, uh, you know developed the, the normal way with a teenager, experimentation, uh, looking at pornography. And in those days, it was magazines, uh, masturbation, and so forth. Um, and I, uh, But I lived a dual life. There was two of me, the, the businessman, the, the churchman, the uh, family man. And then there was Paul, the dark person, watching pornography. By then it was now on the internet, so that was another issue. Um, and masturbation. And I, I was like every good sexaholic, my addiction progressed. It, you know, I, I, I'll never cross that boundary again, or I'll never do that again, or I would never go there. You know the answer to that. Um, so where did it? Uh, I thought that marriage was going to be the solution to my addiction. No. Uh, so I just uh, kept going with it, um, and it, it just progressed. And eventually, I got caught. My uh, my wife was devastated. Uh, I was in a panic. I had no idea what to do when she confronted me with it, and she was hysterical, of course. And um, so we went to a marriage counselor. I didn't know at the time he was a CSAT, but he was a sex addiction a certified sex addiction therapist. And he looked at me and he said, you're a sexaholic. And I looked at him like, you were crazy. There's nothing the matter with me. I mean, watching pornography 10 hours a day and jerking off three times a day, that's normal, isn't it? So anyway, uh, to, to satisfy my wife, I went to SA, an SA meeting, and that, that was a complete, uh, like a dream world. Where, where am I? Who are these people? What are they talking about? But uh, I was... A, 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 guy, a member came up to me and he said to me, look, I, I know you don't get this. I know you don't understand this. I know it all sounds strange to you. Just give it 30 days. Just keep coming to meetings every day for 30 days. 
So that's what I did uh, in total denial the whole time. And then, uh, but eventually, you know, I, I got the message. I said, well, maybe, maybe some of this stuff does apply to me. So I, I got a sponsor and uh, started working the steps. And um, uh, it, 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 I, it got better from there. So today's topic, or this afternoon's topic, is step six and seven. So step, step work is not easy. Uh, I, I've had a lot of sponsees that just can't make it. And uh, step four is a big one. Uh, trying to get through step four is not easy. I know that. Um, and uh, the, the sponsees that I have that I've been able to get through step four, I've sort of had to help them along to 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 move them along because it's a to look at your to look at myself and criticize myself and look at my problems is difficult, very difficult. Um, so getting through step four is a big deal. Um, and, and step five, in, in my view, prepares you for what you're going to have to do in step eight. You're confessing everything to your sponsor. And it's okay because even if it comes out rough and not good, not ready, you know, it's to your sponsor and he's been in the program and he understands and you, you can really pretty much say whatever you want and uh, no harm, no foul. Uh, because uh, you can cause harm in step eight if you're uh, making amends and you're messing it up. So step six and seven are kind of the interim stages between the big hurdle in four and the final uh, reconciliation in step eight. So it's sort of, as I look at them, uh, transitory steps. They're, They're steps that are preparing you for the big step eight. Um, so step six is we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So we've told our sponsor everything. We, we bared our soul to our sponsor. Um, and that's good. We, we, we need to do that. And we're now getting ready for the next step of letting, of ridding ourselves of all these defects. So I will, I will now talk a little bit about my defects. Um, I don't like criticism. I get defensive. I get angry. I, get, I have a lot of emotions that I get when I'm criticized by my wife or by a fellow worker or by whomever. So that's a defect that I have to uh, be on guard for. I, I can be resentful. I can be resentful of family members. I can be resentful of somebody that has a more affluent life than me. 
Um, I can be uh, resentful of a, a coworker at, at, at work. Uh, again, that is a defect of character that I need to surrender to my higher power. This is all about surrender, surrender, surrender. I can be fearful. I can be fearful of uh, what might happen to me if uh, the, the market crashes or what might happen to me if I lose my job. Um, that is, again, a character defect I have to be aware of. Um, another uh, defect that I had <laughs> is uh, lying. I lied a lot before the program. Sometimes I want to lie now. Uh, so I have to be on, on guard about it. And no, white lies aren't not, are not right either. And, and, you know, there's no such thing as a little lie. It's either a lie or it isn't a lie. So I ha- that's a defective character that I have to be on guard for. I don't like to say I was wrong, and I'm sorry. I, I don't want to admit that, but I need to. I have to. I must. And I don't like to make phone calls. I hate that 500-pound telephone. It's very difficult, particularly if it's a tricky subject. I don't want to make that phone call. You know, if it's, if it's just a, I'm, I'm checking in today and everything's fine, uh, that's not really a serious phone call. I'm talking about a serious phone call where I have a serious issue. So those are some of the defects of my character which I have to surrender to my higher power and be on guard about all the time. So... And step seven asked him to humbly remove all of our shortcomings. So this is the transition where I've now revealed my character defects and I have to surrender them to my higher power. And why? Why would I do that? Because I have no control over them. I have no control over myself, my addiction, my defects. Only my higher power can help me, can guide me. Be silent and listen. That's very difficult for me. So for that, I need to do a daily inventory. And in a daily inventory, I need to review what happened during the day. My sponsor, when I was going through the steps, when I would uh, have, a, have a trigger or a trip, he, he always said to me, so what's going on in your, in your life? What's going on? What happened today? Because I had to learn that my emotions and my mental condition was what drove me to my drug of choice. So I need to daily review what's going on in my life, what are my triggers, what are my emotions, and have I taken action? I have to take the action of sharing, 
and making calls. And if I have a trigger in my head and it doesn't go away after one phone call, I need to make another. And I need to make another. And I need to keep checking it in until it goes away. And it will. I, you know, when I first came into the program, they said, if you check in, it'll go away. And I thought, that's ridiculous. But it, it's true and it works. And then I have to surrender all of it to my higher power and pray for him to guide me and help me. Please, God, take this from me. Take this from me, please, please. And then I have to remember that this program is only a a a one-day-at-a-time program. God, please get me through today. Please. I don't care what happened in the past, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Please get me through today. And then I need to do a step 12 work. I need to get sponsees because I didn't understand this initially. When I I got through the 12 steps, my sponsor said to me, okay, go get sponsees. And I thought, no, I can't. I'm not qualified. I I don't know the answers. There's no way I can help. And he said, do it. And I kept saying, oh, I, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. Whatever. He says, just do it. So I got one sponsee, and after step one, he uh, went away. He, I lost contact with him. So I thought, I, I said to my sponsor, what should I do? And he said, get a sponsee, get one. So I got another one, and after step one, he disappeared. Hmm. So I, I called my sponsor, and I said, what am I doing wrong? And he said, are you still sober? And I said, yes. He said, you're not doing anything wrong. So I do step 12 work, and that is I volunteer to do things. You can volunteer for little things like helping with the coffee, helping with the chairs, <coughs> and getting sponsees. Getting sponsees is great because I've, I've discovered that when I get a sponsee and I work the steps, I'm not only working the steps for him or her, I'm working the steps for me. You know, I'm looking at the steps and I'm saying, holy cow, I didn't see that in there. I didn't know that that was in there. So it's revealing to me, it's refreshing to me to work the steps with the sponsee. And then also helping others. And in my case, I'm working in the uh, corrections facility program, working with prisoners, doing correspondence and 12-step work. It's rewarding. They need it. They're isolated. I know that sounds strange. They're surrounded by a bunch of people, but they can't talk to them. They can't be frank about them. They're, they're surrounded by people, but they can't say anything because anything they say might get them injured or killed. So it's, it's a very isolating experience. And so I try to communicate with them what I'm doing, what, uh, you know, Christmas with my kids, baseball. I do, I, I write about life because they are shut up, shut away from life. And also I've worked with prisoners coming out of prison, which is also very traumatic. And it, it's, it's interesting. <coughs> when they come out, um, 
first of all, they tell me everything seems to happen so fast. People are walking fast. Cars are moving fast. And the reason that real life seems fast to them is because when you sitting incarcerated for years and years and years, there's nothing to do. It's, you know, everything, your whole body, your whole mind, everything slows down. So when you come back out, it's all people running around and, and doing stuff, what we normally think of, and they, they don't, uh, they can't imagine that. And then there's the other part, which is if you've been incarcerated for 10 or 15 years, it's like, you know, you went to Mars and you came back and, oh, the world has changed. Uh, you know, we, we've gone from rotary dial phones to iPhones. And uh, all, you can think of the examples of, of what that's happening. So step 12 work is good for me uh, and helps me in my recovery. And with that, I will turn it over to Bob. All right. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Um, that was wonderful. I'm going to line up my stuff here. Um, my name is Bob, and I'm a recovered sexaholic. Hey, Bob. Um, it's important for me to turn on the stopwatch. Uh, anyone who knows me in my home group is grateful right now that I have a stopwatch. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background about me. I'm, I'm not going to go too far into that. Um, um, uh, my parents and I, uh, I was raised fundamentally as an only child, but I had two half-sisters that were 20 years older than me. My mom's first husband passed away from cancer, and later on she remarried my father. Um, they were a lot like aunts, even though they were my sisters, and their kids were about my age, so I got to be their uncle. It was kind of weird. Um, and it's it's a family with some dysfunction, as so many families are. I haven't found one yet. Doesn't have it. Um, just been looking, but I haven't found one. So, so anybody has any idea if they got a normal family? You know, see me afterward. I, that'd be brand new. <laughs> so anyway, but I'm not going to get into that. Except that my parents were my heroes. My dad was a World War II vet, um, part of a very um, blessed group of 10 men, the first 10 guys to go and come back without a Purple Heart in the 15th Air Force, uh, the same 10 guys the whole entire time. He was a right waist gunner to be 24 and um, it was a privilege and an honor to have him as a father and he set a wonderful example for me and my mother was uh, brought herself up through the depression um, and had a rough way to go so I, had, I, I can't blame anything on my parents and wouldn't um, I was systematically molested in a music camp at 13 years old, and that has scarred me for life uh, through a great deal of uh, EMDR and therapy. Um, I've learned how to uh, live on a day-to-day -day basis without that haunting me any longer. Um, and I, for that, I'm never sufficiently grateful. I know that laid a groundwork that could be tied into my sexual addiction, but I don't waste a lot of time trying to figure that out anymore. Uh, I'm a lot better off just trying to keep my side of the street clean, uh, which has been sufficiently and significantly more productive in my life. Um, I'm a garden variety sex addict. I'm, I'm a pornography user. I'm heterosexual. I'm not gay. Um, and I don't care if you are or you aren't. I just don't have an opinion on that. I, all I know is lust was my problem, not the type and kind of sex that I was pursuing. You know, it's, it's like another guy said earlier today, it's, the sex isn't the enemy, it's the lust. And for me it was lust, and it drove me. It literally owned me. And by the time um, I was 38 years old, 
Um, there'd been a lot of, a lot of sexual activity happened, the same sort of things that you hear in check-ins all the time. I did all that stuff. And I had a daughter that was born, my first of two, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna end it. That's it, we're done. Remember that? So when you got married, remember when you got married? Okay, I'm gonna stop doing this. Yeah, see how that worked. Um, so anyway, for me, it led to the biggest bender of my life, and, and that's when I came off of that and thought to myself, when I came to my senses, i got to fix this. This is, and clearly and obviously, I'm not going to, I'm going to need help. So a, ther- a therapist said to me, you know, you're in a second session. You're a sex addict, man. You need to go to meetings. I'd never heard those two words put together in my life. And I thought to myself, I'm in immense shock right now. First of all, that he said that, number one. And then number two, that I know in the core of my being that he's right. Scared the heck out of me. So I went to my first meetings and I I began to um, take the white book on my own terms. And I I made a run at that for two years. I I was going to do this thing my way, by golly, if it was going to kill me. And it almost did. Because after two years of going to meetings and sort of picking up, treating it like a smorgasbord, I realized after a meeting one night that um, these guys are asking me to do this thing called surrender, and I've got any idea how to do it. Now, I've been raised in a religious practice and everything, and it was like, are you kidding me? Okay, so I finally got real with God there, and then not long after that, I started actually letting myself take sponsorship. Um, so I'm going to shift into step work right now because the rest of the story is that I got sponsorship from an old big book thumping AA sober drunk who was also a colossal sex addict, okay? And and he met me at my own terms. I'm a telesertive jerk of an A-type personality who's going to get in your face. I'll tell you something when I need to be asking you a question. That's how bad it is. Okay, these are my character defects. And it's because I was, my entire life up until then, had been driven by a 100 forms of fear. Everything was based on fear. And so I had to respond off of a fear-based response to everything. And I was, it was worn, I was prematurely gray, I was getting wore out. It was killing me. And, and so I needed a different plan. Now, in steps six and seven, step six and step eight are what my southern friends call fixing two steps. <laughs> See, because we're getting ready to. And this is what I love about 12-step recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because they gave us the benefit of the doubt that we aren't going to want to do none of this. <laughs> didn't they? So they wrote an entire step based around getting ready to do it. Didn't they? <laughs> so when it says here, step six, we were, enti- were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Why on earth would you even make a step like that? Well, it's because they knew every one of us weren't entirely ready to do any of that. Would you agree? Defects of character, not even sure what they are. Never thought about that. So, of course, we have a step like that. So what I want to do is get into it a little bit here, and I am watching my clock here, by just kind of finishing up that last. I'm in the 12 and 12, by the way. Um, I'm a real um, big book, 12 and 12, white book kind of guy. I, 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 the sobriety I've got, the recovery that I have. The way of life I have is based on AA recovery as it's been applied to my essay problem through the wonder and amazement of these literatures. So that's, that's why I'm so big on this. But, um, 
it says here at the end of the step five, said, um, this feeling of being at one with God and man, this emerging from isolation through the open and honest sharing of our terrible burden of guilt brings us to a resting place, which, by the way, was new. Brings us to a resting place where we may prepare ourselves for the following steps toward a full and meaningful sobriety, toward a full and meaningful recovery. And, and so that's how they wrap up step five. Now, going into step six and seven, it's assumed that you've done this work of, man, my life's unmanageable because I'm powerless over my problem. I'm not God, even though I try to be God. And so I went and got one that was bigger than my problems. Then I made a deal with that God in three. So see what I've done? I've transferred my will to this God. And in four, I did a lot of cleaning house. And in five, we got it done finally, put the rubber stamp of approval on it, at least our first inventory anyway, with our sponsor. So it's based off of you having done those things. These steps are numbered for a reason. Because they build off of each other. So I want to just kind of go through some of my notes. The first thing I want to do is read you the entirety of the text in, in AA, in Alcoholics Anonymous, about step six and step seven. So it says on page 76, step six, we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, everyone? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. We ask God to help us be willing. That's step six in the big book. Going on, it says, for step seven, when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. That's all there is in the AA Bid Book. But boy, does it get to the point or what? <laughs> That's the step seven prayer, right? So I went into the 12 and 12, and I thought this is why this book exists, because they wanted a bigger expose on the steps individually. And that's why, of course, the titles are laid out the way they are. So um, I'll just pick up some of the most important excerpts. My, my book's been drawn in, and over the years I wore it out, so I had to get it surlocked. Um, anyway, one of the things I like in here is step six on, um, <clears throat> let's see. This is the step that separates the men from the boys, so declares a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of um, AA's greatest friends. He goes on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly, step six, on all his faults without any reservation whatsoever, has indeed come a long way spiritually, and is therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his own creator. Um, so there's a somewhat ringing endorsement around, but also an indicator this isn't going to be easy. Um, another excerpt in here is that I became willing to clean house and then asked a higher power, God as I understood him, to give me release 
my obsession to drink vanished. I, I was lifted right out. It was lifted right out of me. Um, so already we're seeing signs of progress. Um, so in a very complete and literal way, all SAs or AAs be, have become t- entirely ready to have God remove the mania for lust or alcohol from their lives, and God has proceeded to do exactly that. There's a shift here that's being entertained in this. It's inviting us to say, you know what? I'm done fighting. I got a list of my character defects. I don't even know if it's complete. But these are the ones that are glaring. I'm going to set the bottle down. I'm going to set it down and I'm just going to give it. This is what this step six thing is all about, is this transfer of ownership of these of these glaring, glaring character defects. It says, when men and women pour so much alcohol or lust into themselves that they destroy their lives, they commit a most unnatural act. So it's going on and building a better case. Defying their instinctive need for preservation, they seem bent on self-destruction. That would be me. And they work against their own deepest instinct as they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by their unmanageability uh, or by alcohol or lust. The grace of God can enter them and expel their obsession um, for nature and God both alike abhor suicide. Um, and and he did not design man to destroy himself by alcohol, but he did give man instincts, um, referring to God, of course, uh, to help him stay alive. Um, that's the mess we made of our lives, is what I wrote in that paragraph area. Um, I distort reality because I'm so delusional. Since most of us are born with an abundance of natural desires, isn't it strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose? When they drive us blindly, like they did me, or we willingly demand, will, willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfaction or pleasure than they're possible, than are possible that, or than are due us. This is at the point at which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. That is the measure of our character defects or our sins. So it's giving us guidelines on how to understand where our character defects are. So, um, I just want to skip ahead here and and go to the end now that we've sort of set the table on this whole willingness to um, be rid of what it is. Because here's the thing, as we begin to understand these defects, we've developed by now, at least I did, that these defects of character are teed up to destroy me. Any amount of persuasion I try to give myself that, oh, this will be fine and it's going to be all okay, is just more of myself lying to myself. These character defects are a real serious problem, and I need to deal with them. A change of attitude sufficient to bring about abandonment of self or our self-direction and focus on God's direction is what is necessary. Step six directs us, directs this change of attitude to focus squarely on our character defects and hone in on getting God to help us remove their governing power in our lives. The crucial part is that to do six as soon as possible after five. This step is a cornerstone for the development of humility, which is the essence of step seven. It doesn't say ask him to remove our shortcomings. Step seven says humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. In 2000, I was at the Detroit Convention, and I wasn't terribly sober for terribly long at that point. 
I was just in under the wire, and they said, you're going to lead the breakout session, Bob, on humility. <laughs> that was laughable. You know, because I was the most non-humble guy you ever met in your life in an SA meeting. But, you know, that was just where I was at, right? And, and we are where we are, and that's the beauty of this program is it'll take you right where you're at, and it'll offer you a way to get better. So it concerns itself with humility, this step, and we humbly ask God to remove these, these shortcomings. Um, so many of these strivings were well-intentioned. Our crippling handicap had been our lack of humility, as it was mine. Uh, we lacked perspective to see the character building and spiritual values had to come first. Um, uh, we never occurred to us for daily living that making honesty, tolerance, and true love of man would be the, the way to go. And for us, for me especially, just so long as I was convinced that we could, I could live entirely by my own individual strength and intelligence, just so long as I, working faith in a higher power, uh, was going to be impossible. If it was going to be my intelligence and my own strength, it wasn't going to be God's. It's either one or the other with me. Um, uh, as long as I placed self-reliance, um, yeah, there was, I'm sorry. It says it again in the same paragraph. As long as we place self-reliance first, the genuine reliance on a higher power was out of the question. That basic ingredient of all humility, a desire to seek and do God's will, was missing. Um, anyway, uh, it's the whole thing I wrote on the side. It says, be humble or be humbled. Um, you know, that was kind of where it got with me. Um, where... I transferred into a humble way, a more, a more way of life and entertaining a humility and an approach to God. Um, things began to improve. Uh, what I began to do was I commenced to outgrow fear. Because if I humbly asked God to help me, many of the things that I was grappling with, I would find myself not grappling with anymore. Because I was quietly waiting for what God might lead me to next instead of trying to make it happen myself. And there began to be a peace and a quiet and a kind of serenity that I'd never known. Didn't even know it was going to happen. It wasn't, I was out of the question. Um, it says here, during the process of learning more about humility, the most profound result was of, of all was the change in our attitude toward God. And it was true whether we had been Believers or unbelievers, we began to get over the idea that the higher power was a sort of bush league pinch hitter and to be called upon only in an emergency. The notion that we would still live our own lives, God helping a little now and then, began to evaporate. Many of us who had thought ourselves religious awoke to, limit, to the limitations of this attitude. Refu uh, refusing to place God first, we had deprived ourselves of his help. But now... The words of myself, I am nothing, the Father doeth the works, began to carry bright promise and meaning. It goes on to say, we saw we didn't need to be always bludgeoned and beaten into humility. It could come quite as much from our own voluntary reaching for it as it could from an unremitting suffering. Um, on the end, it's the step seven discussion. I like to talk about this. The chief activator of our defects has been self-centered fear. Primarily fear that we would lose something we already possessed 
but we would fail to get something that we were demanding. That pretty much wraps up the self-centered period thing, doesn't it? And that's what was the cycle of my thinking all the time. I was in that repeatable loop of, of mental behavior all the time. The seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude which permits us with humility as our guide to move out from ourselves toward others and toward God. The whole emphasis of step seven is on humility. It is really saying to us that we now ought to be willing to try humility in seeking the removal of our other shortcomings, just as we did when we admitted that we were powerless over lust and came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. See how it ties it all together? If that degree of humility could enable us to find the grace by which such a deadly obsession could be banished, then there must be hope of the same possible result respecting any other problem we could possibly have. My God's big enough to get me here. He's big enough to get me the rest of the way and all of the rest of you too. Um, this one will change your perspective. Four and five, as Paul and I spoke earlier today, will clean your house. These two will tighten up your attitude, will tighten up your outlook, will give you peace and serenity. I did not know peace and serenity in my recovery until after seven. I remember coming back from a prison meeting at Adrian Prison, and we stopped in, in a town called Dundee, and I had dinner at a Bob Evans, and they had just built this Bob Evans, brand new. And I went to pay. And you know, stand there in line, there's three or four people, and whoever did the finished carpentry in this restaurant just knocked it. They just they just killed it. It were beautiful. The moldings, you know, because these Bob Evans, they got a lot of these nice moldings. And I have a friend, I, I'm, I'm kind of a admirer of fine woodworking. So I'm standing there in line. I'm looking at all these moldings. I'm thinking, my gosh, whoever did this is a master. And I'm just really admiring this work, you know. And the only other thing that was going on was they had Kenny G on the stereo. And none of that's terribly important. I love Kenny G. Um, what's important is that that was the only two things happening inside my head. That's what's important. <laughs> and I, it occurred to me, it's like, wow, this is an acid moment. This is the first time my brain has been this quiet, and I can't remember when. You see, I stopped trying to drive the bus. Through all this step work and these different ways of approaching God, pretty soon the noise began to stop. Because when I drive the bus, yeah, it's going to end up in a bad part of town, upside down and on fire. So we don't have to worry about that anymore, I hope. I'm going to stop here because I want you guys to come up here and grab some cards and ask me some questions and, and have Paul and I do our best that we can here for you. We got one on the net. Oh, thank you so much. Here we go. Okay. Do I try that one? Sure. I'll just yeah, just touch it if it gets dark. Okay. So uh, the question is, what do I do on step six when there are character defects that I find myself not yet willing to have God remove? Oh, by the way, Paul, this one has come into us from the net because we're, like I said earlier, streaming live. So thank you for taking that. Um, my suggestion is um, you need to back up and uh, do uh, redo step four. 
uh, because especially you, on that one because right? yeah you've there's <laughs> and and so I tell my sponsees that uh, step four is an ongoing process uh, it, it's a never ending and we always find more things but I'd say at, if you haven't been through the twelve steps. Uh, and you sort of discover something that you need to backtrack a little bit and uh, fix whatever it is and then move, keep moving forward again. That would be my suggestion. Yeah, Paul, I, I really uh, I like your, your approach here. And, and a question like this, um, if I get like from a sponsee, um, like, like, like he was saying, it, it indicates to me um, that we just need to go back and, and revisit this one, at least this one specific one, and understand um, how come um, I wasn't willing on this one. It usually goes to going backwards in the steps and finding something, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, we're rather fond of our defects, aren't we? It's kind of kind of fun to be able to have reserve the right to be angry at somebody, especially with self righteous anger. I mean, I'm, I'm justified, you know. So maybe there's a little more work to do on some of those flaws. But, but yeah, I like what you had to say. It's it's a lot about going back and recapping, and and, and you don't have to worry about going toggling back and forth. We aren't saints. We're not doing this stuff perfectly. The only step you do perfectly is step one. All the rest we're working at. And so that's why sponsorship is so crucial. I can't do this by myself. I try, I, I, I'm here because I tried to do this by myself. I mean, remember that part. This isn't about doing it. This isn't about a loner's game. Um, so anyway, did you want to? Um, we, we have another one here. Um, what actions do you take today to practice step six? Um, any more? What I've discovered, I've been coming around recovery since 1998. I'm not one of those guys that left and came back. Um, I've been going to meetings pretty much at least once a week since 1998, except for holidays or stuff that comes up with the family or something. That's a long time to go to meetings. And I, I'm, I'm a different person because of it. And what I've discovered is that having done the steps as much as 2002 in the most righteous way that really made the biggest change that um, I've been working on a, a kind of type of recovery that's been rendering me a lot more productive person than, than I had ever been before for a while now. And what I've also discovered is that my character defects, um, some of them fell off right away and some of them didn't even become apparent to me until a couple years ago. Um, right now I'm grappling with the fact that I'm a chronic people pleaser. It's almost in my way a lot. And, and it's, it's a, it's a dreadful fight kind of sometimes. And it's like, why? Well, it's stuff you're recovering from, Bob. I, you know, and so I talked to my spot. So th this thing will evolve and grow, guys as long as you stay with it. So what do I do daily? I'm praying to God and saying, what do you got? I've shifted over to being this guy that says, all right, now what? I'm here. You're there. You're God. I'm here. You created me. So if you got something for me. You know how to find me. 
and I need your guidance. And I'd like guidance on these things, but you know what? What do you got? So that's kind of how I do it in step six. I'm not asking for him to help me with this, that, and the other thing. I might do some of those specific requests, but I'm also trying to leave myself open. Do you have any comments on that, Paul? Uh, so I, I've kind of already talked about the actions that I take uh, for my step six. Uh, daily inventory and just reviewing uh, what's happened to me and what actions do I need to take to uh, keep myself on course. Okay, so I have a question. Uh, you said six and seven can really change the attitude. Any suggestions on when you are in an earlier step and find your attitude stinks at times? So, uh, sure. Uh, my attitude can uh, become dysfunctional. Uh, I'm not cured, and I, I never will be cured. That's the, the bad news. The good news is I have the tools of the program to keep me from getting off the rails. So, you know, attitude readjustment is an ongoing thing, a daily thing. And it's something that I need to address. And if I've got an attitude problem, then I need to address it. And I need to talk to my sponsor. I need to check it in. And I need to pray and say, God, please take this from me because I don't have control over it. It's, it's a daily, ongoing thing. I have another one here that I want to answer, and this is one of my, uh, I, I'm picking this up because I, I suffered severely with this and, and still sort of do, um, uh, but I've got a plan now. It says, one of my character defects is perfectionism, and I often beat myself up when my character defects have not been removed as quickly or as fully as I'd like. Well, that's because you have an expectation, and that's a resentment forming. You have no expectation of God, just pray. Um, but anyway, moving forward, what do you have in the way of advice for those of us who struggle with self-criticism, self-hate, and perfectionism? Uh, I have, a, I have a, a, a wonderful suggestion for you if you struggle like I have with that. And it is this. I want you to eliminate perfect from your vocabulary. My therapist said to me, you're no longer allowed to use that word. Depending on your religious beliefs, it's alleged there's only been one human that was perfect. Now, having said that, Bob, he says, I want you to strive instead for perfection. I want, you to I want you to strive for excellence. You can do excellent. You can't do perfect. I'm letting you off the hook. So go do excellent. And give yourself a break because the break's already been given to you. So who are you, God? Your God said it's okay. Who are you going to fight with him? Who are you to instruct God? Is this God we're talking about or not? What is your higher power, Bob? So God says it's okay, move on. It's okay. See, this is why we have sponsorship. I needed to have a dialogue with my sponsor. So that's what I have for that one. Um, and another one real quick. Uh, do you got a quick one? Then so, i got to read a section here. Uh, blind spots, character defects that you are unaware of, suggestions of rooting them out. Um, 
If I've done uh, step four uh, correctly and properly, there shouldn't be any uh, blind spots. But uh, I'm not perfect, and uh, you know I may have missed things. And and hopefully my sponsor is telling me that uh, or suggesting to me because you typically if I'm hiding something, my sponsor sniffs it out or senses that there is a problem there. And he, he, it, it's uncanny how they kept they keep asking the question over and over again. And it's like, oh, I don't want to let this go. But uh, brutal, frank honesty is the whole thing about this program. And uh, if there's something in your character that you're aware of, that you haven't talked to your sponsor about, then you've hit a speed bump. And uh, you potentially, uh, you were in the danger zone of a slip. Uh, so the suggestion for rooting them out is to uh, tell your sponsor. And uh, if necessary, rework step four. But it's like when I get a lust hit and I make a phone call, and I say, I have this lust hit, and I hang up the phone, and I still it's still rolling around in my brain. I need to do it again. This is a do-over. Do this is a do-over program. Keep doing it until it's gone, until it's over. And, and that's, that's what I try to do, because I know that if there's anything going on, that I'm unaware of, and usually it's not I'm unaware of it, I know it, I just haven't admitted it, then I need to fix it. Because if I don't fix it, it's going to jump up and bite me. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, so I have another one here that, that I really appreciate. You can pick that one up and, yeah, look at that one, airball, for the next one. I really, really appreciate the person that wrote this one. 12 and 12, uh, under the 12-step reading, uh, page three, um, and he wanted me to read and comment on this, and 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 I too love this. I was hunting for it earlier and didn't find it, so I'm super grateful that this came up here. It says this, and I quote: Step six. Many of us balk for the practical reason that we did not wish to have all our defects of character removed because we still loved some of them too much. Yet. We knew we had to make a settlement with the fundamental principle of step six, didn't we? So we decided that while we still had some flaws of character that we could not yet relinquish, we ought nevertheless to quit our stubborn rebellious hanging on to them. We said to ourselves, this I cannot do today, perhaps, but I can stop crying out, no, never. Then in step seven, we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings such as he could or would under the conditions of the day that we asked. Thank you. So for me, yeah, I'm only so ready to do this ever. See, the problem here isn't God. The problem here, if there's a problem, is me. And for me in this situation, it was my willingness or my interest or my desire. It was my, 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 my. See, the self thing is what was the problem, wasn't it? And so for me, 
All it really meant, God's always been there. He never left. It was me that went. I'm the one that picked up and went off. Then complained about not being able to find him. You know, isn't that isn't that special, huh? So therein lies the challenge. Is I'm really setting team. I've historically up until this point and continue to tee myself up for these struggles. And 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 if I'm crazy enough to blame God, then okay. But it's not the way it is, Bob. So <laughs> anyway, here I am. And if I ask him, he'll remove exactly what I need. But this is the all-knowing, all-loving God we're talking about, is it? Not? This is that God I had to get into that was going to be bigger than all my problems, right? Is this not the God that might have even created me? I'm thinking it might be. So given all that, he knows what he can take now. And he also maybe has some lessons for me about these other ones that I haven't learned yet that are going to come in time. And maybe they're going to drop off later. And maybe he's going to tee me up to be helped with those things so they don't destroy me in the meantime. Entertain that and stay tight with your sponsor and keep working on this stuff. So go ahead, Paul. What do you got there? What is the difference between humbly asking God to remove all my defects of character or asking God to fix me or take away my problems, which I did all the time, pre-program with no results. Well, I, I think the difference is we can't ask God to fix us. We need to fix us. But we need to ask God to humbly remove our defects. But I have to fix me. I can't. I, God can't fix me. The, the psychiatrist can't fix me. My wife can't fix me. <coughs> I have to fix me, and I have to take responsibility for me, and uh, in the process, ask God to humbly ask uh, to humbly ask God to help me. We ask God to remove our defects, but we start taking the actions required for faith. Without for faith, without action, is dead. On a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment basis, we begin usually, it's one of the defects at a time, every time it shows up. One incident, one encounter, one trial at a time. We stop, look, and listen to our feelings and review what's happened. Sometimes we have to write it out to see it, no matter what's wrong with the other, what, no matter what the other party has done. If we are disturbed, there is always something wrong with us especially in the area of attitude. If we don't see what's wrong, we ask for the willingness to do so. When we see it, we acknowledge it and ask for courage and wisdom to make it right. Then we, we, go, uh, then we go make it right, leaving the results up to God. The results inside us are immediate. We are overcoming our defect. This is without a doubt the greatest therapeutic process known to man. It works every single time. I'm not subject to fate anymore. I have a choice. I can change the course of my life. I can change me. In step six and seven, we surrender the defects uncovered in our inventory. In steps eight, nine, and ten, we amend our past and present wrongs. In actual practice, these steps all work together. We can't surrender our defects without making right the wrongs they cause. And conversely, making the rights they've caused helps us surrender our defects. That must be why none of the help I sought ever changed me. I had to change myself. 
And for some reason, I can't fix myself without fixing what I do to others. No matter how much we come to know about the 12-step program, it is the actions we take to let go of our defects that bring the results, and dramatic results they are. That's uh, from the White Book, uh, page 116. Yeah, thank you, Paul. That's, that's a wonderful reading. We're stuck one more minute. I just want to wrap up real quick by uh, looking for our closing statement. There it is, so I know where it's at. I just want to wrap up by saying, um, you know, I like to look at recovery after all these years as a from-to proposition. It's a from a place of self-supervision to a place of collaboration with a higher power. The focus and goal is to reinvent my life so that I can become productive, helpful, and useful in life in a way that's pleasing to God, and I'll let Him tell me what that is because I used to try to instruct God. And as it goes, that same God will develop you over a long period of time and take you to the next step and then the next step and then the next step. What I've learned to do is relax and go with that. And that's what I'm going to invite all of you to do. Commit to this. Because it will render you into somebody no one ever expected they'd see. And that's a real blessing. So did you have any real quick closing comment? And then we'll go ahead and... All right, good enough. So in closing... All I want to do is say that anything you've heard from this in this meeting is strictly the individual opinion of the, <clears throat> is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. And with that, I'd like to close with the third step prayer. Okay, yeah, let's do that very definitely. Hold hands if you'd like. So, prayer. God, I offer myself to Thee to build with me and to do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me the bondage of self that I might better do Thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of Thy power, Thy love, and Thy way of life. May I do these. May I do that will always. Amen. Because it works when you work it, and it won't when you don't. Because you're worth it. Thanks, guys. Isn't this wonderful stuff? This is where the, the rubber meets the road in so many ways, isn't it? Yeah, you only got today because tomorrow's going to be different. And that's what I really enjoyed this talk. This was really great. It said, take it as the inner will and circumstances of the day, and that's what I'm doing. Right. Now, I'm not sure, man. I love yours. That's what drew me in here. I know they're wonderful. You can put them in your suitcase like this. I don't know. Good stuff. 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 Good stu
that's a, we say it's I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.